We're going to read God's Word this morning in Matthew chapter 5. Not Ecclesiastes, as I put in the bulletin, but Matthew chapter 5. going to read from Matthew 5 in connection with Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 40, which treats the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Matthew 5 is part of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. We're going to begin our reading at verse 21, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Matthew 5, verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge. And the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if their right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Again ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, 
because thou canst not make one hair white or black. So let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. It's on the basis of what we have read in Matthew 5 and many other passages of scripture as well that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 40. Question 105, what doth God require in the Sixth Commandment? That neither in thoughts, nor words, nor gestures, much less in deeds, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor by myself or by another, but that I lay aside all desire of revenge. Also that I hurt not myself, nor willfully expose myself to any danger, Wherefore also the magistrate is armed with the sword to prevent murder. But this commandment seems only to speak of murder. In forbidding murder, God teaches us that he abhors the causes thereof, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge. And that he accounts all these as murder. But is it enough that we do not kill any man in the manner mentioned above? No. For when God forbids envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, meekness, mercy, and all kindness towards him, and prevent his hurt as much as in us lies, and that we do good 
even to our enemies. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus was preaching to his disciples and those who gathered to hear him, Jesus gave unto his followers some difficult commandments. He was expounding unto them the laws that Moses of old had given unto the Israelites. He was not giving unto them a new commandment, but he was developing the commandments that the Israelites already had. And so he gave a further explanation of the six and of the seventh and other commandments as well. And as Jesus Christ preached unto the disciples from the mount, he taught them that obedience unto these commandments of Moses' law could not be fulfilled simply by outward actions. But he revealed unto them that if the Israelites were going to satisfy the requirements of that law, their obedience must arise out of their heart. Verse 39, but I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Who would do this? Who, after being struck on the one cheek, would with humility turn and offer the other cheek? Who, after having been sued for one piece of clothing, would willingly give up another article to that individual. The only person who would do this is the person who has the grace of God in his heart. And so as we consider the sixth commandment this morning and the prohibition that God commands forbidding us from killing the neighbor. May the grace of God be found in our hearts that we might keep this commandment not only outwardly, but that it might arise out of a heart sincere. Murder forbidden. First, we'll see the prohibition that God gives us. Second, the positive requirement, and then third, the gospel. Before we consider what it is that God prohibits in this sixth commandment, we do well to understand what is the basis of this commandment. 
Why is it that God, as he spoke through, Israel, th- spoke through Moses unto Israel of old, gave unto them as the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill? As we look into this commandment, we see that God reveals unto us the fact that he is the creator and the giver of life. That's the God who comes unto his people and says, Thou shalt not kill. In Genesis chapter 1, we read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then on the sixth day of creation, God shaped man out of the dust of the ground. God breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God created man on that sixth day in a way that was unique from the rest of creation. For God gave unto man his image. God shaped man in such a way that in a creaturely way, man resembled God. So it's the creator of life who comes unto us and says, now don't kill the neighbor. You see, this act of God creating was an act of of love. It's not as if God needed Adam and Eve. It is not as if God was incomplete without man. But God already was the perfect and the complete God within Himself. The family God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The independent self-sufficient, the I am that I am, who created, why? Because of love. He already loved His people from eternity. Ephesians 1, in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children in Jesus Christ. And so in time then, As an an act of love, he created mankind in his own image. This God who created mankind respects the life of mankind. He created man as the apple of his eye. He not only created human life, But in his fatherly wisdom, he sustains human life and maintains life. He gives unto each creature food that's necessary for the maintenance of life. This is what stands behind the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. So the Catechism teaches us then that in this commandment, or from this commandment, we are to honor the life of the neighbor. The answer 105, 
that neither in thoughts nor words nor gestures, much less in deeds, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor. And then later on in answer 107, God, forbidding envy, hatred, and anger, commands us to love our neighbor. And we do well to contemplate for a moment, well, who then is this neighbor that God calls us not to kill and positively to love? The neighbor, we understand, is the individual whom God has placed in, in close proximity unto us. The neighbor is the individual whom God has placed in our pathway. And oftentimes the neighbor is the one unto whom God has given gifts and abilities and talents. The neighbor is the one whom God has given success. From an earthly point of view, success upon this earth. The neighbor is the one who is industrious, the one who works hard, the one who advances in life, the one who receives promotions in life. And oftentimes, the neighbor is the one who receives advancements and promotions that we do not receive. The neighbor is the co-worker. But it seems that anything he touches prospers and the employer takes note of that and the employer gives a promotion unto that coworker while I am overlooked. The neighbor is that sibling in the family. But it seems that that sibling receives all the gifts and abilities and is popular and loved while nobody notices me. The neighbor is that man whom God has given a great measure of wealth unto him while I toil and labor and never seem to have an extra penny to show for it. The neighbor is that woman who seems to keep her home tidy at all times who always has good meals prepared not only for her family, but has energy to provide meals for others as well, while it seems that my home is unkempt and the meals I judge to be subpar. That's the neighbor. It's all too easy to conceive of the neighbor as being someone distant or someone remote. Some would say, I love my neighbor, and here's how I love my neighbor. I satisfy this requirement by caring for those who are far from me. And so some will go then to even other nations of the earth and show care and help unto those in foreign nations, even in third world nations. 
and then say, now I've kept this commandment because I've shown love to the neighbor in that nation. God gives one the ability to show love to that individual in a foreign third world nation, then thanks be to God that one is able to do that. But let us not imagine that we are satisfying the requirements of God's law simply by showing love to that neighbor who is far removed from us. Relatively speaking, it's easy to love the neighbor who is in a different nation. That neighbor will not hurt you. That neighbor is not going to receive a promotion that you will not receive. That neighbor in that foreign nation is not going to be noticed, be praised or celebrated while you feel overlooked. The neighbor whom God calls us to love and not to kill is the neighbor who sits next to you in the pews. It's the person who has enjoyed success, perhaps even success at your expense. And now God says, don't kill him. Do not murder that neighbor. Specifically then, what does God prohibit in this commandment? Heidelberg Catechism helps us understand what it is that God prohibits. Answer 105, that neither in thoughts, nor words, nor gestures, much less in deeds, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor by myself or by another. The Catechism prohibits, first of all, having evil thoughts about the neighbor. That's the starting point for keeping this sixth commandment. The Catechism here is following in the instruction of Jesus that he gives in Matthew chapter 6 or Matthew chapter 5. We read in Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22, He have heard that it has been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. So here, Jesus is commenting on the law of Moses. And he's saying, you've heard this commandment from, for many, many years now. Don't kill. And if you do kill, there are consequences for that you're going to be in danger of judgment. But now Jesus Christ is going to develop this commandment. Verse 22, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. You see, the murderer is the one who permits evil thoughts regarding his neighbor to rise up in his mind. Those evil thoughts regarding the neighbor have a comfortable place in his or her mind. 
he or she contemplates these evil thoughts, runs them over and over and over in his or her mind. What are these evil thoughts that Jesus Christ identifies as being murderous thoughts? Jealousy. Think of the very first murder that happened in the Bible. Cain to Abel. They both offered sacrifices unto God, but God had respect unto Abel's sacrifice. And Cain, as he observed Abel's righteous sacrifice and the fact that God was pleased with that righteous sacrifice, Cain became jealous of his neighbor. What are the evil thoughts that are counted by Jesus Christ as being murderous? Revenge. Seeking or having a desire for revenge. Perhaps the neighbor in some way has hurt you. Perhaps the neighbor has stolen from you, spoken evil of you, betrayed your trust, or gossiped about you. How quickly then thoughts start to rise up in our minds of how we can seek retaliation against that neighbor who hurt I recall the words of Jesus. If somebody smites you across the cheek, you turn the other cheek. Murder starts in the thoughts, and then it leads to words that neither in thoughts nor words I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor. And again, this comes directly from Jesus Christ in Matthew 5, verse 22, the second half. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, Raka means vain fellow, shall be in danger of the council. Whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Words can come forth from our lips so easily. We do not even contemplate the seriousness of our words, nor do we think about the effect that our words have on other individuals. But these words that so easily come forth from our lips can be murderous words. Words intended to destroy, words intended to belittle, it can happen even in marriage that the husband seeks to destroy his wife by the words that he speaks against her or vice versa, the words that the wife speaks unto her husband. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth 
but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Ephesians 4, 29. And then the catechism goes on, what is prohibited? That neither in thoughts nor words nor gestures I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor. Gestures is using bodily language to communicate the feelings that are within our heart and our soul. Forbidden, then, is the obscene gesture of using the middle finger to show your distaste of someone else. Forbidden, then, is using the bodily language children of stomping away with your feet from mom and dad to show that you are displeased with what mom and dad have commanded you to do. Forbidden then by God is using any bodily gesture whereby we communicate that we do not like the neighbor whom God has put in our pathway could be subtle things, as subtle as refusing to make eye contact with someone, as subtle as turning our body away slightly from someone to show our annoyance with them. We are forbidden by God from using our gestures to dishonor, hate, wound, or kill the neighbor. And then the catechism goes on and teaches us as well that we have to be careful in how we treat our own selves and our own bodies. That, and also that I hurt not myself nor willfully expose myself to any danger. Remember the principle that stands behind this commandment. God is the creator and the giver of life. God renews us in the image of Jesus Christ. God is pleased to use our bodies as the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. So who are we then to hurt our own bodies? And so the Christian then understands that drunkenness is forbidden. Gluttony is forbidden. But the Christian seeks to exercise his body in such a way that it can be even physically fit for service in Jehovah's kingdom. This is what is prohibited by God. That we do not hurt ourselves and that we do not hurt the neighbor. And perhaps at this point, one reasons within himself, well, overall, I'm doing pretty good. 
in keeping this sixth commandment. I don't go out and hurt the neighbor. I seek to remove desire of revenge from within my heart. I generally live at peace with all men. Overall, I'm doing pretty good at keeping the sixth commandment. Then we must go on and see that there's more contained in this law. It's not just a prohibition, but there is also a positive requirement that God gives to us in this sixth law. And the requirement that he gives unto us is love. The words of Jesus Christ himself, thou shalt love the Lord thy God and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love, what is it? Love is not merely an emotion that arises out of us spontaneously. Love is not merely an attraction unto someone else. It's not merely finding someone else to be desirable, to be lovable, and then wanting fellowship with that individual. But instead, love, is, love goes beyond that. You see, Jesus Christ gave unto his, his disciples the commandment, Thou shalt love. And the fact that Jesus gave this as an imperative means that love, as Jesus commanded it of his disciples, arises out of the will, out of the volition of the child of God. Love is a determination. Love is not something that you merely fall into, but love is something that I choose to do. That's what God from eternity did for us in love. He predestinated us to be His children. He chose us to be His own. That's what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross in love, giving himself for the church. And now God comes to us, his children, and he requires us in the sixth commandment, don't kill, but positively love. Let this be the determination of your heart and of your will that you will love. Love means you seek their good. That's how you love the neighbor. That's how you love the person next to you on the pew. By seeking the neighbor's good. We seek the highest good of the neighbor. And what is the highest possible good? could be given unto the neighbor? What is the neighbor's greatest need? It's salvation. So that's love then. It's seeking to give unto the neighbor the knowledge of the saving work of Jesus Christ. And so in everything that we do, then in every interaction 
that we have with the neighbor, God's calling is love them. Seek their highest good by seeking to be a witness unto them of the gospel. And so, yes, we help the neighbor physically. In Old Testament times, if the neighbor's ox was stuck in the ditch, the commandment was physically help the neighbor, lend a hand unto the neighbor and assist the neighbor in getting that ox out of the ditch. In the New Testament, if the neighbor, or in, in present times, if the neighbor's car is stuck in the ditch, physically then assist that neighbor as God gives unto you the ability to assist the neighbor. Help the neighbor who is in need. And when you are aware of that need. But as we give unto that neighbor that physical assistance and help, let it always be with this goal that we might bring unto the neighbor the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. That's loving the neighbor, seeking their salvation. Love. Love whom? Love even your enemies. Matthew 5.44 But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Love the individual with, about whom you reason that your life would be better off without that individual. God's Word, love him. Love that individual who has despitefully used you, who has mocked you, who has persecuted you. Love that sibling who seems to have received all the gifts in the family. Love that neighbor who receives the promotion when you do not. There's urgency to this commandment. You can sense the urgency in the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 5, verses 23 and following. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar... And there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. And so the, the meaning of the words of Jesus Christ is this for us in the New Testament. Before you come into the house of the Lord. In the Old Testament... They would bring their gifts that they would sacrifice unto the Lord. In the New Testament, 
we bring unto God our thank offerings as we come into his house. Before you come into the house of the Lord, go unto thy brother, Jesus says, who has aught against you, who has something against you, some grudge. There's brokenness in the relationship with that individual. You go unto him. You seek out that brother. Maybe he does not seek you out, but you go seek him out, and you be reconciled unto your brother before you come into the house of the Lord. There's urgency here to this matter of demonstrating love unto the neighbor, even unto that neighbor who has done you wrong. And it's for a very practical reason that Jesus Christ conveys the urgency here of being reconciled unto the neighbor. Why is it that we ought to be reconciled before we come into Jehovah's house on the Sabbath day? Well, it's for this very practical reason, because if there is brokenness in that neighbor, in the relationship with that neighbor, it will be difficult, if not impossible, to worship the Lord faithfully in that service. Instead of one's thoughts being lifted up on high, filled with amazement at the love and the grace and the wonder of Jehovah God, the person who has ought against the neighbor will come unto church and their minds will be filled with thoughts bitter thoughts, envious thoughts, thoughts of revenge against the neighbor. And so Jesus Christ, for the good of God's own people, so that you might be able to worship in spirit and in truth, commands His church be reconciled be reconciled immediately before the service starts. Then come and worship God together in unity of faith. Who of us could do this? Who has the ability to go seek out that brother who has ought against us has the humility to confess faults to the neighbor and then is willing to be reconciled with that neighbor of ourselves we confess it is impossible but we need in our lives the transforming power of the grace of God. And the gospel is this that God sent his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die for the sins of his people.
From the point of view of those on this earth who participated in the death of Jesus Christ, it was murder. Wicked hands took Jesus Christ. Wicked hands affixed him to that wooden cross, and wicked hands killed him. There was unity among the civil magistrate and among the members of the church that Jesus needed to die. Though they acknowledged his innocence, though Pilate confessed that he found no evil within that man, yet Pilate condemned him to death, and Jesus Christ was murdered. But from God's point of view, as he ruled sovereignly over this event, God did not murder his son. But God gave to his son just and appropriate punishment. For there was no one who was more guilty on the face of this earth than God's own Son. Not because he had committed of himself any evil, but because he who knew no sin became sin for us. He took upon him not just the sins of one individual, but he took upon him the sins of the entire church Catholic. Every evil thought that has ever risen in our minds, he took on himself. Every time that we've entertained a desire of revenge, Every time we've had bitterness against the neighbor, those sins Jesus Christ took upon himself. In an act of merciful justice, God sent his only begotten Son to the depths of hell. He died under the wrath of God so that we would not have to experience such wrath. By the grace of God, then, we strive earnestly to keep this sixth commandment. Grace gives unto us the knowledge that the uttermost farthing has been paid by Jesus Christ. Grace gives unto us to know that the 10,000 talents worth of debt that we owed unto God has been removed through the crucifixion of God's own Son. Grace gives unto me to know that God counts me not as a sinner, but as righteous and as holy in His sight. 
And then grace gives unto me the ability to love the neighbor. For if God has forgiven me the 10,000 talents that I owed unto him, then who am I not to forgive the neighbor the 100 pence that he owes unto me? May God fill us with his Holy Spirit that all the days of our lives we might strive more and more to love the neighbor. Amen. Our Father and our God, thy word teaches us, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of of God. Would thou give unto us, Father, humility of heart, faith in Jesus Christ, hope of life ever, everlasting, that we might live at peace with the neighbor. Forgive us where we fall short of this mark. For Jesus' sake we pray this. Amen.